we'll go ahead and get started. Miranda's not here tonight, and uh, so uh, we won't be having any music. Hank didn't want to play a drum solo, and uh, I suppose he would have if I would asked him, but so I probably shouldn't say that. Yeah. Might not have had too many words with it. There were. So uh, anyway, we'll get started here tonight, and uh, <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna finish off with uh, last week's. There's just a couple of points wanted to make on verse seven and eight, and then we'll get um, started in the in the new lesson. Uh, so let's uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll get into the word. Father God, we thank you that we can gather tonight in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you, Father, that as we, we look to you and through your word, you give us instruction, you give us direction, that we might grow and mature and be the individuals that you've called us to be. And so we just ask you to have your way tonight, and we'll give you all the praise and the glory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Just a couple of reminders. Uh, remember that uh, um, there is baptism and baby dedication, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday. And if you're interested, um, make sure you get <clears throat> signed up. Because um, unless we have some people sign up, you won't be able to spontaneously show up on Sunday morning and get baptized because there won't have any water in the tank. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we need to know if people are going to be baptized. And also, um, this Sunday, we're going to be having a guest speaker. Um, Larry and Jean Johnson are going to be here with us. Um, just a wonderful couple. Um, they, um, they, live, they live in Canada, Canada just across uh, the line in, from Detroit right now. Uh, but their ministry is in China and point, parts of Africa and different points in Canada. And they've even got a ministry going in Detroit right now and so just a wonderful couple and um, you will enjoy them um, they're they're, they're kind of like me the most least likely uh, to ever be put in the position and do some of the things that they've been able to accomplish I mean uh, uh, Larry was uh, I think he was a farmer for a while and then he uh, owned some property and had a can, can redemption business in Fort Dodge before they um, heard the call and uh, went overseas. So anyway, just you'll be blessed in hearing what they're doing and just being able to receive from their heart. So tonight we're going to be looking in uh, the book of Colossians. We're in chapter one yet, and I'm just going to start reading, and we'll read down through the seventh verse because. Um, that's where we're going to begin tonight. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, 
and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And so then in the seventh verse, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And so Paul is talking to him and he's talking about their pastor and he's saying how he's uh, been faithful, how he's uh, continued to preach um, the message that Paul preached, which was the, the, the message of grace, uh, the gospel of grace. And uh, we, we spent some time talking on it last week, but I just want to reemphasize that again. You know, the importance of building upon your faith. You know, we, we, as we grow, we go from glory to glory to glory. And so we build faith upon faith upon faith, truth upon truth upon truth. And so if, if, if what you're hearing is, is truly the gospel, um, you're gonna be able to build upon what you've already heard. Um, you're not going to reject it. If somebody comes along with a message that basically says you have to reject everything that you've already heard about Jesus, I would really question that message uh, because it's trying to take you in a whole nother direction um, than what the, the gospel, the, true, uh, the truth of the gospel has taken you. And so Paul is talking about Ephraim, the, you know, the pastor there, and he calls him a fellow servant. You know, one of the things about somebody that is really called into the ministry, what you find is that um, they're, they're gonna be a servant. Uh, they're not there for everybody to serve them. They're there to serve. And, and um, really, uh, whatever position an individual carries, you know, we always, you know in, in the world we look at it from the top down, uh, but in the church it's from the, the bottom up. And so, you know, in the world, um, the, the general population is the bottom rung. In the kingdom of God, they're above, they're, they're, the, they're the top rung. In, in the world, you work your way up uh, to where you, you get the position of authority. In the kingdom of God, <laughs> you work your way down. You know, and so, you know, basically when you look at authority within the church, you have the general congregation, then you have your, I'll just use these terms for, uh, for, for lack of better terms, you have your deacons, which basically means um, servants are the ones that serve within the church. And then under, then you have the, the elders and the bishops and so forth there. And then um, below that then, you have the fivefold ministry of the, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. In the world, they would be on top and so what that would mean is everybody's supposed to serve those individuals. In the kingdom of God, those individuals on the, are on the bottom, and what that means is they're there to serve everybody above them. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter in the 11th verse, where it talks about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they're there um, as, as servants to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And so as, as pastor of the congregation, I, always feel, I feel the role of a, uh, an elder. I feel the role of a deacon. In other words, I'm, I'm here to serve. And then I also feel the role of, you know, a general population because more than anything else, I'm a saint. You know, and so that's how it works in the kingdom of God. And so when you see 
that turned around. And I think a lot of times that's why people have become very disenchanted with the church because they get the idea that they're there uh, to serve the pastor. Now, as a pastor, that's a, that's, that's a nice deal, you know. But, but the problem is, is that's not how it works. I'm here to serve you. You know, the elders are here to serve you. We're here, ultimately, to serve one another. And so there's, um, there, there's, there's no, uh, what, what's the word that I want? Um, there's no stardom in the kingdom of God. We, in our worldly ways, we place people in those positions. But we've done that. God hasn't done that. You know, God places us in positions so that we're able to, to serve one another. You know, one, one of the individuals that I um, admired and probably put in that position of stardom, he's gone home to be with the Lord now, but was Brother Hagin. And uh, a lot of people put him on the pedestal and so forth. But the other side of it, if you ever saw Brother Hagin minister, you would see a man by the end of the service, he was, he was totally spent in a sense because, I mean, he was ministering when he was in his 80s. And uh, because he would give out everything that he had. I remember being down at, um, at a continuing education one time and we were um, sitting in the dining hall having a meal and Brother Hagen and his wife came in and, and there was a seat next to us and came and sat down next to us and of course I'm sitting there oh, oh, Brother Hagen sitting next to me Brother Hagen sitting you know and, and he sat there and we, we, we talked about football we talked about everything else why because he's, he's just a, a regular guy and and so he was there to serve you know and that's why he was there that afternoon to show you know this is this is what I'm here for I'm here to serve and so when we're talking about their pastor his ultimate goal was to bring the congregation to spiritual maturity. We see about Paul when he's preaching to the church in Ephesus. He, he, he says to the, the, to the pastors, to the elders in Ephesus, he says, I've withheld no good thing from you. In other words, if the Lord revealed it to me, I've given it to you. I've not kept anything back for myself. And that's what we see about their pastor. His desire was to bring them to a place of maturity. That's what a that's ultimately what the, the job of a pastor or anybody in the fivefold ministry, that's what their ultimate goal is, is to bring those that are, they are serving to a place of maturity so that um, we can stand on our own, that if uh, uh, there's a prayer need, you don't have to hunt somebody down. You can pray for yourself and know that in the same way that God hears so-and-so's prayer, he hears yours as well. And so he, his goal through teaching the Word of God, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, was to bring them to a level of maturity. Um, he had a vision. And uh, his vision, like I said, was to bring the church to maturity, but to also affect the entire region around them. You know, I, I don't believe that a church is supposed to just have this, this little, little bitty area that they touch. I believe that we're, we're supposed to uh, impact our community, we're to touch the world, and, uh, and, and he had that vision. 
But then we go on into the eighth verse, and it says, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Who, is speaking of Epaphras, their, their pastor, who also declared to us your love. And, and the word there for love, remember we talked last week a little bit about agape. It's, it's the word agape in the Greek. And so it's talking about divine love. It's talking about um, the God kind of love. And, um, and so we mentioned it last week that, that when Paul met with, with the pastor, they talked about the problem, but that's not what he emphasized. He emphasized their spiritual well-being and their growth. And the desire was um, that they would bear fruit. Now, in, in Galatians, the, the fifth chapter, the, the 16th verse, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, that's ultimately what we're to be produced in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. I probably repeated some of them from different translations and left some out. You know, but, but that's what's to be developed in our lives. And that's what the Word of God will develop in our lives is when we are, uh, are receptive um, to the Word of God and we, we receive what God has for us. And so now we're gonna, we're gonna go on, and I did a quick summary there, but we're gonna go on into uh, our new lesson. And so we're gonna begin in um, verse nine. And he's still talking about um, Paul's thanksgiving and his prayers and so forth. But Paul begins to talk about his desire for the saints in Colossae, for the Colossians. And it says in verse nine, and we're in chapter one yet, for this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so, it, that's not in your notes, that's just reading out of the King James Version. Um, what I have in your notes is the literal translation with the Greek and some other things. And so let me read for the, through that and it says, For this reason we also, since the day that we heard of it, do not cease to pray. Um, psychomania, or some crazy word like that. Uh, and, and what it's talking about is intense prayer. In other words, he, he's saying, I'm not just throwing up a prayer for you once in a while. He says, this is intense prayer. You know, and he's talking about after I've heard of your faith, after I've heard of your growth, after I've heard of the maturity that's taken, in your, taken place in your life, I've prayed intensely for you and asked, and, and, and that means to keep on asking, you know, a lot of times what we do is we pray one time and we forget about it. He says, I pray intensely and I keep on praying. And what does he keep on praying for? Well, he goes on and he tells us that you may be filled or that you might re be receiving in fillings. You know, when we're, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, in the book of Ephesians, it says that we're to be being filled. In other words, it's, it's a continual action that's to, to take place in our life. It's not a matter that one time we pray a prayer and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are. 
but then we're to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so every time we read the word, every time we pray, every time we, we listen to preaching or teaching or whatever it may be, we're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the reason that we have to be being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we, we leak. We lose it. Uh, we, we, we don't stay full. And, and the Bible says we're to, be, we're to be full to overflowing. You know, the way that we impact other people, it's, it's not with what I've been filled with, it's what I'm overflowing with. And, and, and so what happens then, it ceases to put a drain on us. A lot of times what happens is when we're ministering people or we're, we're doing something, we feel such a drain upon ourselves. And the reason that we do that is we don't have anything to spare because we're not filled. But when we're filled, what happens is when we begin to give out, we're given out of the overflow. And it ministers life, it brings hope, it brings peace to people. And so, intense prayer for you, and it's speaking of the church in uh, the Colossians. And I ask, or I continue to ask, uh, I continue to ask that you may be filled. And so there's nothing wrong for us to be praying for individuals. And again, notice who he's praying for. He's praying for people that we would consider to be spiritually mature. And he says he prays for them intensely and he continues to pray for them that they might be continually filled. Why? Because he knows that stuff is going to come against them. And if they're really operating as they ought to, bearing fruit, they're going to be given out all the time. And so that means they, means they need to be continually um, filled up again. You know, that's why, you know, <clears throat> people wonder, well, you know, what, what's, <laughs> what's the big deal about going to church? You know, I mean, I can watch TV. You know, well, thank God for TV, but it's, it's not the same thing. When you come together corporately with the body of Christ, there's, a, there's an infilling that takes place. There's an overflow that takes place. We're able to minister to one another, but we're also able to be filled up to overflowing so that we can affect our environment and those around us. And so what are we to be filled with? Here he goes on, he says, with knowledge, um, epilogonasa, and it's revelation knowledge. In other words, not just simply information. You know, it's not like reading an encyclopedia when we're reading the Bible. When you read the encyclopedia, you're being filled with information. We can read our Bible and just simply be filled with information, but it's supposed to bring revelation. What revelation does, it produces change. You know, there, there's been times I've read the Bible and uh, I've gotten information. Well, yeah, I'm familiar with that verse. I've read that before. But then all at once, revelation comes forth, and you see how it can be applied in your life. And so it says, um, with, with knowledge, revelation, knowledge from the Holy Spirit, and not natural knowledge. In other words, it isn't just simply learning something. It's the Holy Spirit revealing something to us. I know each of you have been in that same, same place, you know, where you're, you know, maybe you're reading your Bible and all of a sudden you open it up and you see something that I didn't realize that was there before. And it's like the lights go on 
or you hear somebody talking or sharing with you, or you, you hear preaching. You know, <clears throat> I know this is, this is hard for people to believe, but you know, you know, sometimes when I'm up there preaching, you know, and I, I get kind of excited, you know, and people think, well, he's working it up, so he's working us up. You know, well, well really what's happened is, I've, I've done this study and I've got this before me, and so I've got all the information but when I begin to preach it, because the Holy Spirit is involved in it, all at once, I see it. And, 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 I, and I get so excited, and, and then I gotta calm down because I've gotta make people think I've known this all along. <laughs> but I really didn't. It was like the first time that I'd ever seen this, and I, I get through Sunday morning, and I think, now I've preached it, and, and I'm really ready to preach it because now I finally understand it. But see, that's what our life is to be involved in. That's what Paul is praying for the church, the Colossians, that they'd have revelation knowledge, that they'd be able to see these things that they've never seen before. Revelation knowledge of the word brings stability in the Christian life. One of the things that we see with so many Christians is their lives are so unstable. And we wonder, how, how can this be? They've been, they've been Christians for 25 years and they're, they're still so unstable. Why is that? Because they don't have revelation knowledge of the Word of God. They can probably spew out and quote more scripture than I can because they've memorized it. But it's not alive to them. It's not real to them. And until it's real to us, we don't truly live it. And so what revelation knowledge does, it, 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 it makes the Christian life livable. It brings it to life. And then we go on to the last part of the verse, and it says, of his will in all wisdom. Wisdom from the world, word of God. Spiritual understanding. See, <clears throat> I believe, this is what I believe, okay? Both say, this is what Pastor Dave believes. No, so if you don't accept it, that's fine. It's your problem. You know, but, but this, this is what I believe. I believe that, that knowledge, revelation knowledge, is when that information comes alive to me. The wisdom of God is important because it's the wisdom of God that shows me how to use that information. You know, there, there, there's a lot of people, they get the knowledge of something within the Word, but then they just take it and they run with it. They don't seek for wisdom to know how to apply it. And a lot of times what will happen is people will take information from the Word of God and, and they'll, they'll, they'll beat somebody over the head with it. It doesn't bring life to somebody, it actually does just the opposite, drives them away. Now it's, it's truth that they're bringing, but it isn't, it isn't being applied, it isn't being appropriated in the right way. And so as a result of that, it, it can bring destruction. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, when, when I first got into the Word of Faith movement, there was, there was a, church, a teaching that was going um, parallel with it, that was part of it, what was known as the confession message. And uh, what, what the confession message, well, actually it had a little bit to do with what I taught on Sunday, you know, but um, uh, that words are important, that you're gonna have what you say, you're gonna have what you say, and so on and so forth. And, and see, I believe that, you know, because the Bible says that, 
you know, the words that we speak, calling those things that be not as though they were. And so the words that we speak are, are, are very important. But I remember when I, when I first got into the Word of Faith movement and there was the confession message, there were, there were individuals that, that got that information, but they took it to the extreme. And so, you know, you'd be talking to somebody and you'd make a, a, a silly little statement. You'd say, yeah, you know, we, I went out last night and there was this bang and it just about scared the life out of me. And they'd say, oh, you know, I'll agree with you on that if you want. You know, the fact that I said scared the life out of me, you shouldn't say that, scared, scared me to death. Well, you shouldn't say that. You're gonna have what you say. Well, I didn't, I didn't mean it, I just, it was just saying, well, just saying, you need to, you know, and so there are people that just totally forsook the word of faith message because of somebody that went overboard in a particular area. I remember being down at one of Brother Hagin's meetings one time, it was during camp meeting, he was up there preaching. He's talking about a situation in his life, and he says, you know what, just about scared me to death. I thought, oh, Brother Hagin, don't say that. You know, Brother Hagin's the one that came up with the Word of Faith message. You know, I mean, he knew that it, you know, what it was. But see, that's what we do with, with principles. You know, the, the ultimate principle, God is love. Amen? God is not a lover. God is Love. That's where we, we talked about agape love. That, that agape love is divine love. It's a sacrificial love. Any, any definition of love leaving God out is an incomplete definition of love because God is love. And so whatever we minister to somebody, the motivation behind that always has to be out of a, out of a heart attitude of love. And what love always wants, love always wants an individual to go further. They want them to mature more. And so sometimes love means that, that it, there's going to be a corrective element to it. But it's never going to be a, a destroying, destructive element. It's always going to be an element that brings correction so that they can produce change, so that they can move on with their life and be victorious. And I don't have any idea how I got there, so I'm just going to jump back into my notes and, and pick up someplace. But, but it's, it's knowledge and it's wisdom that shows us how to apply that knowledge. And so when we get a truth from God's Word, we need to pray and we, we, we need to say, Father, I need wisdom on this. I need to know how to apply this in my life so that I can demonstrate it to other people properly so that they can see it Rightly, does that make any sense? But, but a lot of times what we do is we just take off and we, we, we whack somebody over the head with it. And it doesn't produce life. It, it actually produces the very opposite of what we wanted to produce in that individual's life. In, in Proverbs, the fourth chapter, in the fifth verse, it says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, who? The words that come out of my mouth. And she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom, the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor, and when you embrace her, 
She will place your head on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. And so, anyway, I, I misspoke. I said it was the word that was the, the she was referring to. It was talking about wisdom. But we find the wisdom in the word of God. And it says that that wisdom will promote us. It'll take us to places we would have never imagined. And then we go on into verse 10. And Paul's still talking about the same thing, but he, he wants us to, to have a fruitful life. Think of that. Paul, representing God, wants you to have a fruitful life. God wants your life to bear fruit. He wants it to be fruitful. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. That you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Boy, that's a, that's a mouthful. But let's look at the literal translation. It says, it could be added to it, in order that you might walk, uh, forward movement a step at a time. I heard somebody preach this one time. He said, God doesn't expect progression, uh, God doesn't expect perfection from you. He just expects progress. I like that. You know, because I'll never be perfect. I know that's probably a shock to y'all because you already think I am, but no, 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 no. I, I'll never be perfect, but I can, I can always make progress. And that's how it is to be our entire life. We can, we can, one step at a time, we can make progress. And how do we do that? We do that by the Word of God, looking to Him. In order that you might make, uh, that you might walk, forward movement, one step at a time, worthy axios, corresponding uh, to one who has merit. So we're to walk forward one step at a time according to the one that has merit. What does that mean? Well, the one that has merit is talking about the Lord. And so, you see, I don't ever have to compare myself to you. We don't ever have to compare ourselves to one another. You see, we find people that they think they're pretty good. They start looking down their, their nose at the brothers and sisters because they think they're better than they are. But see, we're not to compare ourselves with one another. We're to compare ourselves with the Lord. And that means that there's always room for progress. And so as long as I keep my eyes on Him and keep my eyes off of everybody else, I'm not going to be distracted by what everybody else is doing, and I'm going to continue to look towards Him, and my desire is always going to be then uh, to please Him and fulfill His will. Um, corresponding to one who has merit, the, merit, the Lord, fully pleasing Him, fully pleasing Him means in every area of life. You know, all of us, we, we have those areas that we're doing pretty good in, some of you are doing better in some areas than some of us, but we've got areas we're doing well, and then we've got areas that we struggle. But he says that as we, we look to him, 
we're going to be, how does it say it? Fully pleasing to him. And that means in every area of life, socially, economically, spiritually, health-wise, every area of life, we're going to be pleasing to him. And you say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, join the club. But one step at a time, we're moving in that direction. And it's going to produce what needs to, look what it's going to produce. Being fruitful in every good work. Agathos, benefit. Being fruitful in everything that benefits. Every good work, that's what benefits. Not only self, but others. And increasing in the knowledge. Knowledge from the Holy Spirit. And so as we're doing this, every good work, we're, we're, our, our Christian life is improving, but we're also growing in our understanding. Notice the word may, that we um, may walk worthy. That indicates potential. You say, well, I don't know if I can do it. It says that you may. means that there's the potential there the knowledge, uh, walking in the Word. And it's, it's a victorious potential that's in, in each and every one of us. People often know the Word, but they don't apply it in their lives. You know, James 1.17 says that faith without works is dead. Um, the New American Standard says Faith without corresponding action is dead. And so when we have, we have faith of something, there's to, there's to be corresponding action. You know, 40-some years ago in the basement of Vern Lewis's house, I heard the gospel preached to me. Faith rose up on the inside of me. It demanded a corresponding action. And as a result of hearing that word, I prayed and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so that's one event. But everything that takes place in our life, when we see a truth in, our, in, in the Word of God coming out of the Word of God, that truth will demand some kind of a corresponding action. It may be a, a word coming out of our mouth. Yes, I believe that. I receive it in the name of Jesus. It may require uh, a, a change. You know, when I... Um, saw in the scriptures, you know, most of you heard my testimony concerning this, that when I, Pastor Becky and I, when I was born again, you know, our, our marriage was in a little bit of turmoil, to say the least. And, uh, and so I, I, I started reading the scriptures, and I got into Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and I'm reading along, and I get to the point where it says, wives, submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And I wasn't even spirit-filled yet then, and I had a Holy Ghost moment, and I said, yes, Lord. That's it. If that woman would submit to me like she's supposed to, you know, we wouldn't have any problems here. But I made a mistake. I read on, and it says, husband, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Well, it doesn't take a genius to know how much Christ loves the church. He died for the church. And so that demanded a corresponding action on my part. I had to begin to change the words that come out of my mouth. I had to begin to change my actions towards her and so on and so forth. It, it required a change. And so that's what the Word of God produces in our life. And so that's what he's saying. 
um, to the church here, in, to the Colossian saints, that faith requires uh, corresponding action. If you've received the knowledge, there needs to be an action that goes along with it. Only by growing in the word and walking in the spirit can we produce divine good. Because it says that we're supposed to produce good works. It's not talking about works that are produced out of the flesh. It's talking about divine work, good works. Works that bring uh, glory to God. Um, there, there's two sources of good. Uh, there's human good. You know, because people um, in the flesh, believers can do good things. In the flesh, non-believers can do good things. You know, oh, pastor, I don't know about that. Well, I'll tell you something. I've seen some people that um, deny the reality of Christ, and um, they, their life produces some characteristics I wish a lot of believers produced. But it's, it's out of the flesh. It's not out of the spirit. And, uh, and they're, they're, they're getting their reward. I don't, I don't want my rewards in this lifetime. Uh, and so then there's, there's divine good from the spirit-controlled life of the believer. Divine good from the, uh, from the flesh is impossible. In the flesh, it, it, it's talking about your own ability. You know what the, when you, we don't want to want to, <laughs> I'm getting tongue tied. <clears throat> you know what, a, you know what our, one of our biggest problems is? is? We're talented. We're gifted. We're able to do things in the natural. And what that produces many times, it produces an attitude that we don't depend on God. You know, because if I can do it within myself, what do I, what do I need God for? Well, the, the very things that we do in the natural, if we begin to depend upon God, uh, we'll see uh, increase and we'll see blessing exponentially when we begin to trust in Him. But there's another element of it that we're, when we're doing uh, divine good, we, we go beyond just simply our own abilities. And we begin to, uh, we begin to rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, divine good means that we begin to experience uh, stability in life. I've got all those scriptures there, and um, that's why they're in the notes so that you can, you can go um, read them later on for yourself. If we read through every one of the scriptures that I have in the notes, we'd be here till um, 2042, and I'd be dead by then. You know, so uh, you know, we're, we're you know going to go let you read some of them for yourself. Uh, divine good is uh, the basis for all rewards in the judgment seat of Christ. And so we're all going to be receiving rewards, uh, but it's going to be on divine goods. In other words, things that we, we did in faith. Uh, and of course, we think of that and we think, well, that's, that's going to be something that's huge. You know, I, I went and laid my hands on somebody and they raised them from the dead or, 
cursed cancer and it came off of somebody's body. Well, all of us are qualified to do that because we're, we're children of God. But you know what? If uh, the Holy Spirit speaks up in your heart and tells you to walk across the room and say hi to that individual and tell them that their hair looks really nice today, you'll receive the same reward. You know why? Because you did it under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and you don't know what that may have done for that, that person, that individual. They may have been feeling lower than a snake in a wheelbarrow rut. And you coming over and talking to them and encouraging them, you know, just basically made their whole day. And see, what we do is we make everything that's spiritual, we make it woo spiritual. But that's not what it is. It's, it's listening to the Holy Spirit. And 99.9% .9 of the time, the leading of the Holy Spirit is going to be something that's very simple. That we just say, I'm supposed to go talk to that person? Why would I go talk to that person? And I go over and do it. And they may not say anything, but you find out later on, or when you get your reward, that that was exactly what they needed at that time. This is what I want you to see. Spirituality isn't weird. Spirituality isn't spooky. A lot of times what people interpret as being spirituality, they just seem so spiritual. It's totally of the flesh. But when we're walking in the spirit, it's doing many times the normal everyday things in a supernatural way. Why? Because you and I, we are supernatural beings. We need to move on to verse 11. Um, verse 11 in chapter 1, it says, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for a patience, for all patience and long suffering with joy. Strengthened, the literal, strengthened, uh, dynamo, by um, every enabling power. In other words, it's saying, Every power of Almighty God is behind you. You know, we, we talk, you know, when I'm talking about power, oftentimes I talk about, I use the example of a police officer and how a police officer, ha police officer has his uniform and his badge on and um, he can stick up his hand and, and, and blow his whistle and he can stop a, a, a semi-truck. They'll come to a screeching halt. Why? Because that police officer told him to stop. Well, that police officer, in the natural, doesn't have enough strength to stop that truck. But the guy driving the truck knows the authority or the power that's behind that police officer. It's the city government. It's the state government. If he needs it, he's got the federal government behind him. And so he comes to a screeching halt, not because that police officer in and of himself is so strong, but because of the might and the power that's behind him. See, we limit ourselves because we look at our own 
inabilities. You know, somebody comes in for prayer. Do you think I feel qualified to pray for somebody that's come in and, and, and cancer has been diagnosed in their body? No, I don't because I can't, I can't heal, a, heal, heal a flea. I, there's no healing power. But because of the greater one that lives within me, I lay hands on that individual because I know that when I lay my hands on them, it's not just simply me, it's Jesus, and it's all the power of the universe that's in Almighty God that is backing me up. And you know what? The same thing is true for each and every one of us that are in this room. And so it says, strengthened, dunamo, with all might, dunamais, miraculous power. So it's the power of the universe, it's miraculous power, according to Cato, the standard of. So there's a standard. The standard of it is his glorious power. His glorious power. Cato's, God's uh, ruling power. In other words, all the powers of God are behind us. For S results in all patience. Patience is endurance. You know, we think of patience and we think of putting up with. But that's not what Bible patience is. Bible patience is endurance. And that's why oftentimes when you're reading through the scriptures, you'll see faith and patience used in the same context. And the reason for it is for, for your faith to bring to pass what you're believing, it'll require endurance. That's what the patience is. I'm, in, I'm going to endure. When I've done all to stand, I stand, therefore, knowing that God is going to bring about the increase or whatever it is that I'm believing for. But it means that I may have to endure. I may have to stand for a period of time. And so all the power is behind you, but it's, it's not only to enforce what you're praying or what you're speaking, but it's also to give you the endurance to continue to stand and long suffering, it's not suffering long, because a lot of times that's what we do, oh, we just suffer long. No, it's long suffering, that means stability with joy. That's what I like about it. Whatever it is that we're believing for, whatever it is that is, that is the issue in our life, or we're praying for somebody about with the issue in their life, we do it with joy. We don't have to walk around with a long face trying to appear spiritual. We can have joy in our life. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because we know that God is going to do exactly what God said He was going to do. And He's going to use me in the way that He said He would use me. And so we stand. And so uh, the life of Christ, that's our standard. We look to Him. We trust Him. Uh, we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he gives us power. It says over principalities and powers. You know, people don't like to talk about this, um, but there's demonic entities in the world, and God has given us authority over them. Um, uh, they, they have no authority over us. And so in every situation, uh, we triumph because the greater one lives within us. It's not because of our tremendous 
abilities is because of the greater one that lives on the inside of us. And so as long as we keep our eyes upon him, we realize um, the qualifications, the capabilities that we have in our life because of Jesus. As we understand and walk in his word, we are empowered with God's strength. It isn't like all of a sudden muscles pop out all over the place, you know, or anything like that. But it's just, we, we know that he's backing us up. We know that we're walking in his strength, his ability. It's not our own. And the thing is, is that that doesn't mean we're some super saint or anything like that. That's how it's supposed to be for every single believer that we walk in the fullness of what he's made available to us.